Good morning, church. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Coffee mug Christianity. Hallelujah. We are back on our series, Coffee Mug Christianity. And uh, trust those of you who are watching online or hopefully with your mugs of coffee enjoying the service. And uh, yeah, see no mugs of coffee in church here today, eh? <laughs> but anyway, folks, as we've been singing this last song, you know, it actually ties in so much with the message today, with the mug I'm going to be talking to you about. And I'm just wondering, you know, we've been singing things like, you are my desire, no one else will do. Nothing else could take your place. Are, are we singing that from our hearts, or are we just singing words because they are on the board? Huh? It says there, you're all that I want, you are my desire. Huh? You're all I ever needed. You're all I want. So, let me ask you, is that coming from our hearts today? Or is it just another cliche? You know, it's things Christians say, but there is no meaning to it. Amen? We continue today with our series, Coffee Mark Christianity, and our verse today is one of the most known verses. It links up with what we've been singing, actually. It's going to challenge what we've been singing. It's going to speak into that. And the verse I'm talking to you about, the verse I've got here on my mug today, um, last week we dealt with what John 3, 16. That's the number one searched verse in, in, on the internet. And uh, this one is one of the most searched verses. It's also one of the best known verses in the Bible. But it's also recognized worldwide as one of the most misused verses in Scripture. So like, as about everybody knows this verse. When, when I say it to you, you're probably going to recognize it. But it is one of the most misused, misapplied verses. It has become cliche. So here we go. Our verse today is Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13. You can read it with me. Let's do it. Come on. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Come on. Let's read it again. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. And this is part two of our series. And this message is called Do all things. Do all things. Because isn't this what this verse is telling me? I can do. I can do all things. <laughs> Here is my cup with this verse. It's a beautifully decorated cup. And it's got it right here. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13, and for the right-handed drinkers like me, every time I use this cup, it's right here in my face. I cannot help but being reminded that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's a good verse. It speaks truth. It speaks encouragement. But you know, <laughs> for many Christians... It says something else. You see, in this series, 
we are trying to bring clarity to cliches. All right? What is a cliche? Remember I spoke about it last week. A cliche is a phrase that has become overused to the point of losing its original meaning or intention. It loses its effect, even to the point of being trite, sometimes even irritating, especially when some earlier, when earlier in time it was considered meaningful, useful, or even novel. But now, after being used so many times, it becomes quite frankly irritating to hear certain phrases. Cliché is something that has become overly familiar or commonplace. I gave you some examples last week, and here are a few more. Ever heard of every cloud has a silver lining? Every, every, every cloud has a silver lining. Ever heard that? The truth is that some clouds have no silver lining at all. I don't care from what angle you look. It's just cloud. There is no silver lining. You see, but when you meet someone who's going through a tough situation, going through difficulty, and you don't know what to say to them, you quickly throw out a cliche at them. Oh, don't worry, my friend. Every cloud has a silver lining. Stay positive. Look up. You'll see the silver lining. Uh, you know. And, and sometimes it is true, and, and some good may come out of a lousy situation. Other times, my friend, you are just going to get wet. That cloud is going to pour on you, man. <laughs> You're going to get wet. No silver lining. And as I said last week, we have our video on Christian cliches. I mean, Christians, we, we, we don't ever say, have a good day, brother. We say, have a blessed day. It sounds so much more spiritual, <laughs> you know. Uh, Christians, are, we, we never get depressed. Never. We don't get depressed. We have a spirit of heaviness. How are you, brother? Oh, today I've got a spirit of heaviness upon me. Pray for me, brother. And of course, when, when, when a Christian make, make, makes a mistake, we say, hey, I'm forgiven, not perfect. <laughs> you know, and, and we love these cliches. And, and sometimes we say these things from, from the heart and, and they have meaning. But many times we just say these things practically without thinking about them. They become mere cliches. How are you doing today, brother? They look, oh, you, are you? Are you a Christian or are you an unbeliever? Are you a colleague or if you're a Christian, oh, I'm blessed. If you're a normal person, oh, I'm okay. <laughs> Making it, you know. And so we, we use all these cliches. Now, the danger, <clears throat> the danger is this, that well-known Bible verses, like this one, well-known Bible verses may become cliches and lose their meaning. And this is what has happened with this particular verse that you're talking about today. And so we're going to dive into it and bring clarity to the true meaning of this verse. First of all, let's talk about what Philippians 4.13 is not. I mean, this Bible verse, you find it everywhere. 
And people use it from athletes to pastors. They use this verse. They love using this verse. They love quoting this verse. And chances are you've seen, read, seen this verse written, used a few times in different places. Sportsmen use it. Sometimes they have it written on their faces. Yeah, Philippians 4.13, you know. Sometimes they got on t-shirts. You know, you see people use this. People going through exams. When exam approaches, oh, brother, oh I'm going to face it. But I can do all things through Christ. And, and especially if you have not prepared yourself for that exam, then you really hold on to this verse. Jesus, help me. I've got to, I can do all things through Christ. I'm going to make it. I'm going to. But you haven't prepared for it. And so you're really God, and you drink lots of coffee, and you read this verse, I'm going to do it, Philippians 4.30. Hallelujah. First thing you write on your exam sheet, and you get this out on the top right-hand corner, Philippians 4.13. I'm ready for my exam. <laughs> job interviews. You're about to go for a job interview. My brother, pray for me. I'm going to get this job. I know I'm going to get this job, because I can do all things through Christ. <laughs> And of course, any challenging life in work, any project, any business venture, when you're facing illness, you quote this verse because you know you're going to get through the storm. You're going to get on top of the situation. You're going to be victorious. Now, many of us have seen some variation of these words in encouraging cards and notes in art and so forth. And it gives the impression, listen, it gives the impression, the way this verse is used by believers, it kind of gives the impression that because we believe in Christ, because it says there through Christ, that because we believe in Christ, we become like these superheroes and we can do anything. And the others can't because they don't believe in Christ, you see. And so we've got an advantage over them. We can do anything. Hallelujah. Because we believe in Christ. And so we take this verse and we almost draw like superpowers from it. <laughs> Sometimes this verse is just shortened to top part. I can do all things. You kind of, you know. We understand that the rest must be there, but I declare, I can do all things. Hallelujah. I can do all things. 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 You see what I'm doing here? Huh? And, and we, we kind of pump ourselves up like a motivational speech, you know, motivational talk. And it's commonly interpreted to mean that you can fulfill any desire that you set your mind to. The famous verse is often distilled to simply a personal motivation to get through something tough. Often used as a promise or a motivational statement that if we do our part, then God will give us what we want. Because we can do all things through Christ. Amen? <laughs> now, this is not too far from saying that nothing in this world is too hard for us, leading on to saying that we are the masters of our own destiny because we can do all things. Hallelujah. Can you see what's happening here? And if you're not careful, this verse begins to what? Feed your ego. Feed your desire. And you start believing that whatever you want to do, you can do 
Because you've got a mug with a verse on it. <laughs> now, what is worse is when you start finding biblical support for your delusion. <laughs> and yet it goes. In John 14, 12, Jesus says, Whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. Huh? And Jesus also said, with God, all things are possible, back then in Matthew 19. And so if you tie these two verses to Philippians 4.13, then there are those who have come to the conclusion that there can be no limit to the things we are able to do. We've got a God who can do anything. We've been promised by Jesus that he'll do greater things than him. And therefore, through Christ, I can do anything. You see what's happening here? Now, this kind of misrepresentation has led to the following mug design. Take, take a look at this mug. You might want to buy yourself one of these. What is my mug? There you go. I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Huh? Come on. Huh? I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. And so this matter of taking a verse out of context leads to coffee mug Christianity, where you live your life just by the verses you see on coffee mugs, which so happens to be a selection of the nicest verses in the Bible. All God's promises, all the good things are in the coffee mugs. You, you, you don't find coffee mugs talking about God's judgment, God's justice. God's desire for you and I to live a holy life. Hello? Those are not there. Those, those verses talking, talking about us being humble, about us being servants, about serving God and serving others, spreading the gospel. We are those verses on the mugs. And so we live this coffee cup Christianity, or what we used to call in the olden days, promise box Christianity. In the olden days, just about every Christian home in the lounge on the, on the, on the table, you know, on the sitting room table, on the lounge table, there, you know, there was a, these little boxes with full of little cards. And you pulled out a card and there was a Bible verse on it. And of course, every single Bible verse was a nice verse from scripture, a nice promise. I still remember as a youngster, I used to go and visit brothers and sisters, have some kind of fellowship. And, and before we, we parted, we'd have a prayer, of course. And what we do is if we, go, we pass the box around and, and everybody pulls a verse out. And, and we share the verse. Everybody reads this. Oh, hallelujah. What's your verse? Oh, hallelujah. God is good. God's going to bless us. God is going to And we read all those verses. We get these warm feelings. We join hands. We pray. Hallelujah. It's so good to be a Christian. And, and so if you're not careful you shift into this Christian or coffee mug Christianity or promise box Christianity where you only look at the beautiful things, the beautiful promises, and you create an illusion. And your Christian life becomes an illusion. Until you start facing some real tough times in your life and you find that those promises ain't working for you, and get your coffee mug, no matter how much coffee you drink and how much you read, somehow something is not working over here. Why? Because you have misinterpreted. Amen? 
How do you read a letter when you get it? How do you read an email when you get it? Do you turn to the third page, fourth paragraph, first sentence? And that's how you read your email. Go to the third page, fourth paragraph, and you read the first sentence. Now you know what it's all about. No, I, I, I usually go from the beginning. The top of the letter, and I go, and I go, until I get to the third page, fourth paragraph, first sentence. And then that first sentence makes sense to me. Because I'm reading it in the context of the letter. And the same thing with this verse. If you want to properly understand this verse, you better read the letter. You better read what comes before, what comes after. Understand what this verse is all about. Yet it is so it is such a tendency we have to take a verse and us isolate it and say, this is God's word. <laughs> this is God's talking to me. I say, come on, guys, we need to learn to be wiser in this. And if you want to benefit from God's word fully, we need to read wider. So let us, let us look at what this verse actually means. What does Philippians 4.13 actually say? You see, This verse is misused because many Christians interpret those words, all things. I can do all things. We interpret that to mean anything, which is very similar. All things, anything. So we say, I can do all things. I can do anything. But that is not what Paul was talking about. This is not the old things that Paul was talking about, see? When you isolate the verse, you get, you can make a a wrong interpretation of the verse. You read and hear the wrong thing. To fully understand the meaning of verse 13 and understand what Paul is talking about, let us read some of the verses around it. And so we're going to read now from verses 10 to 14. It's good to read the whole letter, but 10 to 14 will Give us clarity on this verse. And I'm reading from the NIV. And you'll see why just now. Here we go. Verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned, listen carefully, for Paul says, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Remember this verse, verse 11. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know, now he explains this. I know, verse 12, what it is to be in need And I know what it is to have plenty. And as you're reading this, see if you can identify with some of these things. You don't have to show, put your hands up, you know, nod your head at home there or online. But I wonder, have you ever been at times where you were in need? Have you ever been at times when you had plenty? Oh, Paul did. He says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed, ever been well-fed, or hungry, ever been hungry, (laughs) 
whether living in plenty or in want, needing stuff. Have you ever been there? I can do all this. Okay? I can do all this. You see, many, many translations, they, they say, I can do all things. NIV says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet, it was good of you to share in my troubles. And I use the NIV because of that verse 13. Instead of using the word things, he uses the word this. Now, the word things used in most translations is correct. That is the Greek word used in the verse. I can do all things. But what the NIV does, it, it brings a better understanding. It interprets the meaning of that verse. And he says, I can do all this. This stuff I've been talking about. This is what I can do through Christ who strengthens me. I think right there, you can begin to understand and realize that there's a difference in meaning now, right? It's not he can do anything he wants. He can do the stuff he's gone through. He can put up with the stuff he's put up. And he has learned to be content. So the whole matter that this verse is talking about is not my superpower, I can do anything I want to, but it's talking about contentment. I can do all this. I can go through good times and bad times and still be content. I don't need things to make me happy, to make me content. I can do. I can do with good things in my life. Do you know that there are some people that good things spoil them? Yeah? I, I, I've, I've witnessed this. People that come out of poverty and then they pray and they trust God and they work hard and guess what? Next thing you know, they begin to prosper and they begin to do well in life. And then next thing, they're not reading their Bibles anymore. They're not praying. Next thing, they're not coming to church anymore. You know, because are they too busy now with the things of this life? You know, they've got engagements, social engagements. They've got to be here. They've got to be there. They've got to travel. They've got to go to the club. They've got to do this. Got to blah, blah, blah. And their faith begins to take a downward spiral. Some even leave the faith altogether because they could not handle good things. So you see, the thing here is this. Not about what you have, what you don't have. Can you be content with little? Can you be content with much? Is Christ going to be number one in your life, whether you're in poverty or in plenty? Oh, it's getting quiet in the church, Anna. I hope it's because you guys are thinking this, okay? Thinking through. Amen. See, what is the context of this verse? You see, uh, Paul here, when he writes this, Paul is a prisoner. He's under arrest. How's arrest? Probably in Rome. During the reign of Nero. Awaiting trial before the Roman emperor. As he writes, Paul recognizes that death may be close. It could be approaching because he's probably going to be killed by when he gets tried. So he knows that his life is coming to an end. He is a prisoner. And it is precisely in this context that he learned the secret of being content. The Philippian church had sent him goods. They heard that Paul was in prison. 
and they sent a messenger with some things for him. He's in prison, they sent him some nice, nice goodies. And this little note is actually is, is thanking them. He rejoices in the Lord that you, you know, for your renewed concern for me. And for a number of years, they were, for, for some time, they were separated while Paul was traveling and being taken to prison and so on. But now they're being reconnected again. And so he's thanking them. But, but he's saying, I'm, I'm grateful you sent these things, but I want you to know that I'm not thanking you because I am in need, but I'm thanking you and letting you know that I've learned to be content. Hmm. Interesting, eh? I've learned to be content. He realized that contentment is not directly related to one's environment or situation, which is a little bit different than us, isn't it? I mean, if we haven't got the latest gadget in our hands, I'm not content. I want the latest one, the fanciest toy, the biggest and the best. Otherwise, I'm not happy. If you're not striving for something, striving for success, striving to be better than the neighbor, you know, striving for our position. If, if we don't, if the world can't see us as prosperous, you know, and we kind of feel dissatisfied, we are not content. Even as Christians, people, I'm not talking about the world, you know what the world is all about. But I'm talking about this kind of thinking can get to us as believers. You know, and instead of learning to be content, we are not. And yet it is. Yes, Paul, I mean, if you read the letter of Philippians, and sometime you must actually do a little study on the book of Philippians. Fantastic. The word joy appears all over the book of Philippians. It's a joyful book written by a man in prison. <laughs> in the eyes of the world, he's a failure. He's a prisoner. And the man is full of joy and encouraging the people and, and helping them to find the joy of the Lord in their lives and teach them contentment. <laughs> and so just before Paul says, I can do all things to him who gives me strength, he recounts some of the different circumstances he found, he found himself in. He's been hungry and well fed. He's been in need and he's been well off. And he's learned to be content, no matter what his circumstances are. Hallelujah. Now we know from the book of Acts and, and from other writings of Paul that he went through a lot of stuff. Bad stuff. He had some good moments and a whole bunch of bad moments. Here is a list of things that, uh, things that Paul said that he suffered. Listen to this. He says, five times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. You know what it's like to be whipped? Five times, he got 39 lashes each one of the five times. Do the maths. Three times, I was beaten with rods. Once, I was stoned. And he wasn't smoking stuff, okay? He was physically stoned with stones, okay? <laughs> Three times, I was shipwrecked. Once, I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. Well, that must have hurt, eh? When you're thinking you're dealing with brothers... And then they stab you in the back. 
And unfortunately, those descendants are still alive today. Sometimes still going around, you know, stabbing brothers in the back. Hmm. I have faced. Where was I? I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty. I have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Wow. Does that sound like a guy who is victorious, worldly style? You see, victory, according to the world, is a guy that has food, has clothes, has home, uh, has transport. He doesn't go through any of this stuff. Paul had gone through all this. And this list I've just read you, you find in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And so Paul, when Paul says he has learned to be content in any and every situation, man, the brother means it. <laughs> and he can talk about it because he's been there. He has gone through it. And how does he do it? Well, that's where verse 13 comes in. So when we read this, instead of things, it's a lot more clear that the passage is referring to specific things. All the things that Paul has been talking about. And not all the things in the sense that we can do anything we want. Through Christ means in Christ. And this is the high point of this epistle. It is well to know that all things is modified by in Christ. I don't do all things in my own strength. I don't go through stuff in my own strength. I don't go through good times or bad times in my own strength. I do it through Christ. And then through Christ, I can do all things. Through Christ, I can, I can go through bad times. Through Christ, I can go through good times and not allow those good times to destroy me. But it's going to be through Christ. And that's the whole point of his message and of that verse. You see, uh, through Christ, think of a train. A train can do amazing things. A train can do all sorts of things from point A to point B. A train can do anything from point A to point B. Carry passengers, carry cargoes, you know, take massive machine loads, go up hills, go downhill, go around corners, go through tunnels. Man, a train can do all things from point A to point B as long as it is on those tracks. Let that train come off the tracks and it becomes a wreck. You see, as long as I am in Christ, I am on the track. I am on track. The minute I step out of being in Christ, I become a wreck. The minute I want to do all things in my own strength, without Christ, man, a disaster is about to happen. And history is filled with disasters of Christians trying to do stuff and bypassing Christ, trying to do it in their own strength. Huh? If what we are doing or trying to do is not in Christ, it could become a wreck. It probably will. And so this also points to the fact that before I do anything, especially big stuff, big projects, major choices, before I do anything, I should consider if I can do it in Christ, if I can do it through Christ. In other words, is it His will for my life? Is it in line with kingdom principles? 
Does it bring glory to God? Is it pleasing to the Lord? Does it bring life and blessing? If so, I can claim this verse. I can use this verse. I say, I can do this. I can do this through Christ who strengthens me. Because I know I'm doing something in his will. In line with him. I'm not ashamed to have him with me. And he's not ashamed to be with me in this thing. Huh? But if not, if it's not according to his will, if it's not in line with biblical principle, if the things I want to do are, are based on me, on ego, on pride, on selfishness, on competition, and all that kind of nonsense, man, I tell you what, if I use this verse, it's merely a cliche. There's no truth in it if I apply it in that context. Is this making sense, church? Are we learning something this morning? Hey, hallelujah. Now, I want to take a moment to, to share with you about the Philippians. When, when Paul wrote this, look, he wrote to the Philippian church. The Philippian church, it was a church in Philippi, it was the first Christian church in Europe. Remember, as, as it's been coming from, from Asia and so on, most of those churches are largely Jews. They were Gentiles in it as well, but it was largely Jews. And so Paul often spoke along Jewish terms with them and, and reflecting back to the law and to Jewish customs and then showing how Christ has set us free from the law and so on and so on. But, but Philippi, the church in Philippi was mainly Gentiles, mainly Gentiles. And so those people in Philippi, they were under the influence of the philosophies of the day, the thoughts of the day, very much from from Socrates and Aristotle, there was a, a thing called a Stoic. Stoic, we forget them today. But the Stoic philosophy, Stoic way of life was very predominant. And so these guys in Philippi, now they are new believers. They're coming to Christ now. They're hearing the gospel. They, they're growing in the Lord. And here comes Paul and he writes to them. And he uses a very interesting word. Let me show you. If we go back to verse 11... Verse 11 of this passage, um, Paul says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. That word content in verse 11 is a Greek word that only appears once in the Bible, once in the New Testament. And it appears there in the letter to Philippians. Why did Paul use this word? And now I want you to get a bit of an insight over here. You see, the Greek word in, where, where you read content, that Greek word is the Greek word otarkes, otarkes. And it literally means self-sufficiency. I've learned to be content. I, I've, in other words, when, when you're content, you don't really have need for anything. You're content. You're happy. You, you're satisfied. That's what contentment means. But when Paul said, I have learned how to have Otarchis. I've achieved Otarchis. The Philippians say what? Because you see, that is the exact word which the philosophers used. The Stoics, Aristotle, and all of them. They use this exactly same word. Aristotle defined Otarchis as freedom from all things or to have need of nothing or no one. Huh. 
You see what's happening here? Paul is, is taking his Christianity and his belief and he's showing them within their culture, within their understanding, bringing a word to their attention which to them had meaning. You and I, we read verse 11. All right, so good. So the guy's content. Bless him. You know, but when the Philippians heard that word, Otarkis, what? Otarkis, that's, that's what they lived for. That's what, the, what, what those philosophers lived for. They, 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 they quest was to gain that position of Otarkis in their life. For hundreds of years, they have been living with this philosophy, wanting to attain contentment, wanting to attain Otarkis, but it continuously seems to elude them. This was a familiar word to the Philippians. The Stoics believed and taught that the pinnacle of self-sufficiency was to be able to be content in life no matter what. They had a process for this. Now note, what I'm going to share with you now is not Christian philosophy, okay? That's Stoic philosophy. It's what they believed in those days. There are still some Stoics today which believe in this. And they had like a, a process, a three-step process. Number one, eliminate all desire. In other words, get rid of desire. Mm, you know, <laughs> stop desiring stuff. Because they said, look, if you, don't, if, you, if you don't desire things, you will not want them. And so you will not be unhappy if you don't have them. Minimalist. I don't want anything. So if I don't want anything, and then I don't have anything, I'm happy. Because I don't want anything anyway. So they strive to be in that position. Number two, learn not to care. They, they, they literally told their people, stop caring. In other words, if you break something, if I drop the cup, just say, I don't care. If I lose something, I don't care. Somebody steals something from you, I don't care. Because if you don't care, you're not going to miss it. You're not going to want it. You're not going to be unhappy because it's gone. They even took it to the extreme of if you lose a loved one, if you lose a child, you lose a spouse, I don't care. I'm happy. Can you see my face? I'm happy. <laughs> and the Stoics were known as being very, very, very severe, very serious people because of this, this, this matter of I don't care. I don't care about you. Why should I care about you? Because if I care about you, I'm going to get emotions and I'm going to get feelings. And then when you're sad, I'm going to be sad. So I don't care about you. If you're sad, tough luck. You mustn't care about it. Just say, I don't care. Say, I don't care. Ah, ah, ah. They took something from you. Just say, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> Hello? You see, that, that was the philosophy. And then thirdly, watch this. This is a dangerous one. They say, they, they taught people to believe that all that happens, good or bad, was the will of God. You see, no matter what happens, you will be content because it was the will of God. My dog, you got sick and died. Shame. It's okay. I don't care. And it was the will of God anyway, so I should like it. You see? And they kind of try to force themselves to believe this kind of stuff so that they would achieve this status, this state of Otarkis, where they were truly content. But of course, it was a mission. And they were always on this quest 
to get there, but never getting there, but trying to apply all this stuff. And if you could master these three principles, you could achieve a state of contentment. So when Paul comes along and declares that he has found contentment, man, they are listening. How do you do it, Paul? How do you do it? Teach us. We want to know. We want to get there too. And Paul reveals to them that true contentment is not in a philosophy, is not in a way of thinking or behaving, but contentment, true contentment is in a person. And that person has a name. True contentment comes from Jesus, comes from a relationship with Jesus, comes from knowing that your life has a destiny, that you are saved, that the Lord is with you no matter what happens in your life. It's what we're saying today, isn't it? You are my desire. No one else will do. You're all I want. You're all I ever needed. What you're singing is the biblical way, the biblical road to Botarkis. The biblical road to contentment. And that is actually what this verse is all about. This verse is not about being a superhero. This verse is about being content, no matter where you are in life. Because your contentment doesn't come from the things of this world. It comes from the Lord. For Stoics, self-sufficiency was a human achievement. For Paul, self-sufficiency came from relying on God and from the power that was in Christ, through Christ. Hmm? Paul knew this attitude would baffle those relatively new Christians in Philippi. But you and I know that it will baffle many people in our own culture right here today. Right where you are watching or listening, it's going to baffle some people right there as well. Why? Because we live in a culture obsessed with acquiring and possessing things. A culture that measures power and influence in terms of material health. When they ask you, where do you stay? They're trying to gauge you. Where are you in, <laughs> in the levels of society? Huh? What work do you do? I'm just waiting to judge you, gauge you, and put you there. Huh? What car do you drive? What kind of house do you have? You see that? And so we live in this, and unfortunately, some of us as Christians, we fall into that trap. And if you don't live in the right proper area, if we don't have the right size house, if we don't have the proper brand of car and, 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 if our clothing on brand clothing, if we don't wear those shoes or those tackies, we are sad. We are dissatisfied. We are not content. No otarkes for us. I'm less. You see what's happening? And so it was a shock to those Philippians to hear this. Might be a shock to us as well. To understand that we can be content. Whether you've got good things and people, there's nothing wrong with having good things. But don't let good things have you. Whether you've got good things or not, that should not change our contentment. Because our contentment doesn't come from things. comes from the Lord. And so Paul added, I have the strength for all occasions in the one who empowers me, or I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me. I can have autarkis. 
How? Through Christ, who strengthens me. And he's in Philippians, you guys can do it as well. Learn to be content. Don't go chasing after all these crazy philosophies and, and trying not to care. It's okay. We should care for each other. We should look after the things that we have. We should look after our planet. We should care. We should be good stewards of whatever God puts in our hands, whatever we find ourselves surrounded with. It's not about having no desire. It's about where you place it. It's about priorities. It's about making sure that ultimately your contentment comes from the Lord. Paul's contentment did not come from what he had. It came from his relationship with Christ. Today, there are many people who have much and are not content. They want more. And so we need to learn this. Paul says he can be poor and have nothing and he will be content. His contentment did not come because he had eliminated all desire to have anything. No, his contentment, his autarkis, came from his relationship with Christ. And so the Philippians understood that term, and they got it. So the question today is, do you get it? Do we get it? Hmm? Let's close this conclusion. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is, I can do all this. I can do all these things. Amen? Through him who gives me strength. Or, I have strength for all occasions. That's what he's saying. I have strength for all occasions in the one who empowers me. So which means it's no matter what you're facing today, in the eyes of the world today, you may be in a position of success or you may be in a position of failure. The world, in the eyes of the world, You may or may not be content. They may judge you like they judged Paul. As a man is a failure, he's in prison. Ah. But Paul was content. Can you be content where you are? Even though you might be in a difficult position, trusting that in Christ and through Christ, you can go through this. You're in a good position in life. Man, everything is going hunky-dory. The sun is shining upon your life. Your bank account is overflowing. Can you say, I am satisfied with Christ, and I'm not going to allow my wealth to hinder my faith and my service to Christ? Or are you going to go like that multi-billionaire when they asked him, they asked him, how much is enough for you? And he answered, just a little bit more. And that's the way of the world. The more they have, the more they want. That's not contentment. That's not autarkis. But in Christ, you can be wealthy and be content. In Christ, you can have little or nothing and still be content. And in Christ, you can go through the situations until you get to a better position in life. In Christ, you can go through stuff. Now, let me ask you this. So this verse is really an encouragement to each one of us. But let me ask you this. Does this mean then that we cannot attempt great things? In other words, if I've got to be content, does it mean I've got to be content with my station in life? Can't I desire to get better? Can't I desire to go up? Can't I desire better things? Can't I attempt great things? Can't I have big dreams and big goals? Believing that, that I can achieve them through Christ? And the answer is, of course you can have big dreams and big goals. In fact, the Bible encourages us to maximize our lives. 
The Bible encourages us, instructs us to use our talents, not to bury them. To multiply what God has given us, not hide it away. But the Bible instructs us to do work diligently, to do it, to make the best use of our time here on earth. To make the best use of our talents, our treasures, our time, and use it for His glory. We are called to multiply. In fact, we are going to give an account to God one day of how we use our lives. So contentment isn't this stoic idea of I just disconnect from the world and I want nothing and I care for nothing and whatever happens, I'm just going to believe it is God's will. No, many things happen in my life, in your life, in this world, which are not God's will. Oh, but isn't God in charge of every single thing? No, he's not. He's given this planet to man for a season. And look at the mess we're making with it. It's not God, it's us. Our greed, our everything, man. So don't come and say that everything that happens in my life is God's will. No. Some bad things happen in my life because some palooka over there make a wrong decision and now it affects me. Some greedy president wants to have a war and now I'm paying from my pocket because every time I go to the garage, I go, oh, I've got to stop driving, man. I'm going through some bad stuff. Not because God allowed it, but because some men are doing wrong decisions in this country and in the world. And you and I sit with a brunt. We have to pay the cost. It's affecting our lives. Oh, maybe you can say, I don't care. I don't need a car anyway. I'm just going to park it and leave it, you know. I want to see you next month saying, I don't care. I don't need a job. <laughs> when they come to collect your bills, tell them, I don't care. <laughs> So you see, you, you can't go that way. That's crazy. We must live life over here. And so, yes, we are to, to use what we've got. We are to make a living. However, it is not where our contentment should be. Go for great things. Go for great goals. Build great things. Achieve great stuff. Yes, but that is not where the foundation of your contentment should lie. Of course, it's nice to achieve things and enjoy the moment, but that's not where your contentment should lie. Amen. Your contentment should be in a person, in Jesus Christ. The purpose of our lives should be to honor God and His kingdom, no matter what sphere of life we are in. Whether you are in business, in education, in politics, in law, in science, in medicine, academics, economy, media, entertainment, wherever you are, do great things there. And do it through Christ. Do it to bring Him glory. Don't let those things have you. You are in charge of those things. That means it, it, if it is in his will. Because this is his will. That you, wherever you are in life, that you prosper. That you do your best. That you multiply. That is his will. And therefore it can be done in Christ. And thus we have. And we can declare and prophesy that we can do all things we put our hands to through Christ. Which means in Christ. And he is the one who strengthens us. In whatever battles we encounter while pursuing our life goals, we remain faithful and content. Good days and bad days. Days I move forward and days I move backward. Days I win and days I lose. I continue to praise the Lord. I continue to be content in Christ because my contentment is in Him, not in stuff. Amen? Hallelujah. Because we know the secret of contentment. 
It's not success as defined by the world. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ as defined by God himself with a clear understanding of this verse. And of course, it also means that uh, we need to seek his will, isn't it? Because if I'm going to do something through Christ, I've got to make sure that the decisions I make, the plans I've got will bring glory to him, are in his will. If I want to feed the poor, you know, I want, to, I want to bless a particular poor colony. And so I plan to rob a bank next week so that I can have money to feed the colony. I don't know if I can claim this verse. I can do all things through Christ. I'm going to bless those people. I'm just going to rob that bank quickly. Uh-uh. You're going to get into trouble. You're going to derail. It's going to be a disaster. But if your plans are within God's will, they bring glory to him. They are within kingdom principles. They bring life. They bring joy. They bring a blessing. Go for it and trust that God will get you through. I can do these things. I can do this project. I can tackle that situation. I can go through this difficult time through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. So with a clear understanding of this verse, I hope it has brought a lot of clarity, I hope, to this simple verse here. And so with a clear understanding of this verse, may you use it well in your mug, t-shirt, or other item. May you live out the secret of contentment as you do all these things through Christ who strengthens you daily. Amen. Amen. Have you been blessed? Have you learned something today? I hope it's been stretched your understanding of this verse. We are going to close in prayer. But first, somebody is going to be mugged. Can I have those numbers, please, quickly, Ashes? Can I have those numbers quickly? Someone is going to be mugged today. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. So, when you read this verse, what are you thinking? I can do anything I want. Or are you thinking, thank you, brother. Thank you so much. Okay. Here we go. Let's pick a number. 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 <laughs> I got a number. I got a number. All right. So, whoever's got this number, you're going to come forward. You're going to recite today's verse off by heart. Um, you, you're going to give me you're going to give me a three minute summary of my my sermon. Come on, you can do all things through Christ, man. Just believe it and do it. And if you can do it, you can be mugged. Are you ready? Number 49, please come forward. Ah! <laughs> My brother, you have been mugged. God bless you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Folks, let us stand up. I hope this has been enjoyable as well, as well as educational and inspirational, but also there's been some clarification, <laughs> all right, in the whole process. Father God, thank you so much, my Lord, that we can know today, we can know the secret of contentment, Lord. 
thank you that we can know that our joy, our contentment, our satisfaction is not dependent on our situation, our surroundings, our condition, our positions. That as much as those things are needed and important in our lives, we can learn to be content no matter where we are. We can learn to be content while we are fighting something in our lives. We can be content while we are battling, battling with sickness and disease. We can be content while we are trying to get out of difficult situations in our lives. We can be content when things are going well in our lives. We can be content when things are going well with our family and our work and our business, Lord, knowing that these good things will not be a distraction of our worship to you, our service to you, our church attendance, or our, our giving to you, Lord God, that will continue to be faithful to you even though things are going well. And it almost seems that we don't need God in our lives. Lord, thank you that we can live out the secret of contentment no matter what. And help us, Lord, to, as we go forward, as we go into this week, to go in with a proper understanding of this verse, my God. That it doesn't mean that we've got superpowers and we can do just anything we want or that we can just trust you to get us out of trouble when we have created that trouble ourselves. But that even in those situations, Lord, we can trust you to take us through. Hallelujah. We can learn to be content even in trouble. Even in disease, even in difficult situations, with the knowledge that we are not alone. You are with us, and therefore, we have everything we need, Lord. And in you and through you, as we surrender our lives to you, as we surrender our will to you, as we surrender our desires to you, my Lord, and we make you our desire as we sang today, Lord, that then we get empowered and we can withstand all situations and be victorious through Christ who strengthens us. Thank you for this wonderful promise, Father. So now, may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon each one of you, in person, online, listening. May you learn as well the secret of total contentment in Christ and through Christ. Amen. God bless you. Wonderful Sunday, a wonderful week, and we'll see you next week for another interesting verse on the mug. Ciao, ciao. God bless you.